Welcome in to Inside Carolina's Day After podcast. I'm your host, Tommy Ashley, sponsored by Johnny T-Shirt, johnnytshirt.com. Buck Sanders, that's Jason Staples. It's Sunday morning. I have not seen the sun yet. But we talked off air, and I still don't have my thoughts collected, so I'm going to kick it to you first, my friend. I'm going to put it on you. Tote the rock right out the gate. Well, uh, get ready for the uh, tennis ball to come back in your court pretty quickly here. <laughs> um, the uh, my, my thoughts when we were talking before we came on, uh, was uh, I don't really want to talk about this game at all, period. I mean, it's like that, uh, the old uh, cliche about, you know, the coaches use, we, we burnt the tape from the game. We didn't even watch the tape because we were so bad. Uh, we didn't even want to infect our players with that kind of badness. Uh, so I, it, for that reason, in terms of discussing the game, I just prefer to burn the tape. But there are some things that are unavoidable to talk about in terms of this game, uh, which is pound for pound, this might be the worst defensive performance I've ever seen out of North Carolina. Um, and, and by that I mean, you know, if, if uh, Oregon, you know, puts up, 39 points and 500 yards on you, uh, you know, a whole lot of uh, tipping of the hat, as Jason likes to call it, is going to go on. They're just good. They they know what they're doing on offense. So we're giving up, you know, 500 yards to Oregon. We're just going to have to swallow that bitter pill and move on. But if you're giving up 500 yards and 39 points to NC State, Something has gone awfully wrong with your plans on defense. Um, they gave up more yards to NC State than they gave up to anyone on their schedule. Uh, they gave up more points uh, to NC State, North Carolina has. Uh, North, I mean, I'm sorry, NC State scored more points on North Carolina than they scored on any other ACC team. So we're not talking about a mediocre situation here. We're talking about a flat-out awful situation. So uh, from my point of view, you know, accountability is accountability whether you're talking about players or whether you're talking about coaches. And that goes up and down the ladder. Uh, in every organization. So uh, the that's all I really want to talk about. And you, I understand you have some things you want to talk about, but the the defensive performance, the offense wasn't great either. We can all have time to uh, criticize everybody on the football team except for Noel Burnett, who went two for two on extra points. So there's plenty of time if you want to. People want to get into it. Uh, uh, awfulness from that game personally in my opinion I'd, I'd like to recognize it for what it was which is a scream for change in North Carolina football I, I don't believe any football program is cursed I don't I don't believe in curses and jinxes and you know there's something in the water in Chapel Hill that makes you soft uh, too soft to play football I don't believe in that kind of superstitious nonsense so what changes does North Carolina have to make as an institution to field a football team that is not satisfied with eight wins? That's something else we'll talk about as the show goes on, I'm sure. But uh, as far as my introductory thoughts, Tommy, that's them. I mean, you nailed it. I heard in the post-game pro- uh, press conference, eight wins pretty good around here. Uh we can, there's a couple instances in the game I'd like to talk about. But, Jason, I'm going to let you get in on your opening thoughts. A couple things to lead you 
I don't think any in any line of work, anywhere, whether it's somebody working out here, driving um, a truck, or it's somebody in the highest level, can you put a performance like that out and survive it without some significant changes? Complete lack of preparation, complete failure to be ready to go, summed up in a couple plays, but Jason, your overall thoughts? Well, that, you know, you've heard of total team losses. You know, you, you hear people say at different points, that was a total team loss. This was a total program loss. Where you got beat in all four phases of your program. Really five, if you want to talk about it that way. But four phases. Offense, defense, special teams, and coaching. You got beat in all four. And if you want to talk about, you know, culture of physicality and everything else, that, you know, you can toss that in as as a fifth maybe. But this was a total program loss. I mean, even down to equipment. (laughs) This was an equipment loss too. Look at all the guys who were, you know, on ice skates all game. Like what, what was, what was the deal with the, with the spike situation? Uh, yeah, I, there's not, not much polish in this one. And thing is we knew going in that they had essentially one guy you really had to worry about in the passing game. And they had the same guy that was the main guy you had to worry about in the running game. We talked about that in the, in, in the, in the game plan and on the WCHL pregame of figure out where that guy is and adjust what you're doing to that and make sure that, you know, if he's in the slot, if he's moved out, bracket him where you can, just take him away as much as you can. And, you know, in the running game, stack it and make sure that, that, that he's contained as much as possible. And that guy ran wild. Average five yards a carry as a ball carrier and had 131 yards and two touchdowns in, in the passing game. He's targeted nine times and had seven catches. The path of least resistance for him was anywhere he wanted to be. And just the, the, the general sense of a lack of preparation through this game and a lack of physicality as well is is what really what really stinks i mean you talk about it has a has a it has a specific odor to it this game smelled of 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 a lack of overall preparation and a lack of physicality and it didn't look like this team i mean let's be honest when you guys were watching first half especially did it look like north carolina wanted to be out on that field no not from the very first snap Exactly. From the very first snap of this game, when I'm watching, I'm looking at it and I'm like, man, they don't look like they came out for a, for a rivalry game. That team does not look like they came out ready to go and wanting to be out there. That looked like a team that was ready to kind of get, get on with it. And that was against a team that is, you know, that, that put a whole lot into this game. That was against a team that treated this as a rivalry game. And you could see the difference in intensity from play one. That's the ball game to me. It is uh, it is inconceivable to see how they came out, Buck. That's the thing to me. I mentioned, I listened to Ryan Day, who I, I despise Ohio State, but you got to give them credit. They're a pretty good football team. And he said, we prepare all year for this game. And we couldn't get it done. Teams, North Carolina State prepares all year for this game. They despise North Carolina. Dave Doran, Peyton Wilson, everybody can talk smack about NC State all you want. They kicked Carolina's ass on Saturday night. And they did it because they're just more physical. They care more. 
and it shows on the field. Buck, that's the number one thing. We can spin off the game, even though I'm going to still ask Jason about that fire drill play that State ran, and you had Travis Shaw laying down to try to get um, the officials to blow it dead when you got three timeouts on the sidelines, and then State just runs a little old dump route out to the end scores an easy touchdown. We can talk about that. But, Buck, the culture at North Carolina is broken, period. And it starts at the top. Dave Doran plays the stick of old country guy, hand in the dirt and all that stuff that everybody laughs about. Everybody at North Carolina laughs about that. We don't care about NC State, blah, 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 blah. But then they come out and do that against Carolina. And it starts at the top, Buck. You better start, Karen. That's the thing. Yeah, I mean, I just – I cannot believe that they came out like that for that game. Losing didn't surprise me. We all thought it would be I mean, a close game. Yeah. And and but statistically, it was pretty close. I mean, you look at yards per play, it was it was almost identical. But the three turnovers, you know, changed that. And, it, and even as close statistically as it was, it was never close. I mean, you never had the sense that North Carolina had a chance in this game. How many times yeah. have we said that, Buck? How many times can you recall when you thought North Carolina was a pretty good team that you got the sense they got no shot? After the first couple drives, that game was over. Yeah, you know, uh, in the age of uh, Drake May and Sam Howell, you kind of thought, had the feeling, uh, misplaced or not, that they were never out of a football game that they had two guys who were absolutely magicians when it comes to, uh, you know, moving the ball under pressure, under stress, a short amount of time, uh, getting away to uh, finding a way to win the game. Uh, the very first game uh, of Mac Brown's career in Charlotte, Tommy, you and I were sitting in the stands, and uh, here comes uh, Sam Howell in the fourth quarter and just – takes the game away uh, from uh, South Carolina. So we, we since that moment, really, uh, it's always kind of been the case that uh, very few times Clemson in the ACC championship last year um, and a few other occasions, you could probably name them on less than one hand, um, did you ever think that North Carolina was out of it even in the third quarter late, you know, that they had no chance to come back and win. So to get, go down 23 to nothing in this game against a really good defense, NC State has a really good defense. Uh, that was a, just a seal of death right there, is that they were down uh, over three touchdowns to a team that plays well on defense knowing that you've got to throw the ball to catch up. So at, at that point, you know, the game was over, essentially. Uh, so you're absolutely right that uh, it's been rare, and I think that's what makes this game stand out. You, you, you talk about and you think about games uh, that were wins that represented something unusual for North Carolina. Um, and it, they stick out in your mind. Uh, when they played Miami this year, it was the first time they played a, an offense that was good on both sides, you know, throwing the ball and running the ball. And we made a big deal out of how North Carolina performed defensively against uh, the Hurricanes. Uh, and this game is the exact opposite. This game stands out and, and because NC State, as a good defensive team, they were able to stymie North Carolina's offense, which very few defenses have been able to do this year, um, if any, hardly. Um, we, knew, we knew that was a possibility. It could be a rock fight. It could be a very close, low-scoring game because on the other side of the coin, we knew that NC State's uh, offense was no bueno. I mean, they're playing a quarterback who got fired and then got the job back because the other quarterback transferred. They're down two of their top running backs uh, since the first of the year. 
Um, Houston and uh, Allen were, I think, and may still be leading one and two or so behind uh, maybe some of the quarterbacks in rushing yards. And they've really only got one decent, as Jason was talking about earlier, the one decent skill player. No tight ends really to you know to impress you or to be afraid of. Um, and against that offense, they rolled up over four five hundred yards and thirty nine points. What are we doing here? You know, if you can't if you can't hold a defense an offense like that uh, into a range where even against a good defense, you feel feel like you're offense will have a chance. Amari and Hampton had nine carries in this game. If without changing anything else, if he'd had 25 carries, I would have said North Carolina wins this game. If I was looking at the stat sheet this morning, he had 25 carries. UNC has won this game. Nine carries. I don't have to look at anything else in the box score. That tells me North Carolina lost this game. Uh, So it stands out. It has place of pride in my mind to every horrible defensive performance we've seen by Gene Chizik in uh, his tenure as a defensive coordinator at UNC, either under Fedora or it's worse than the Baylor game because at least that Baylor offense was good. It was a good Baylor offense. They might have been running a quarterback of a running back at quarterback, but still. They had like an entire first team of Big 12 offensive linemen, uh, all eight, all Big 12 guys. So th- th- those kinds of things, I I understand. I don't like them. I see them. It ha- they happen, but against a horrible offense, there's no excuse for how this North Carolina team played uh, last night. Jason, let me ask you about a couple of plays. One holistically did nc state do anything differently than they had done last year against north carolina than they had done all year two they did they did the same i'm going to answer that first they did the same things that they've been doing the last three weeks and there was no counter there was no forget counter there was no initial plan out of the gate it didn't look like but what was so effective for North Carolina State, and why is it not replicable for a team like North Carolina? Obviously, different defensive coordinator. I mean, what are they doing so special to have such success on defense that's not replicable by another team that, that North Carolina can't get done? Just sort of explain that aspect of it, because it's not Oh, talent. it's replicable. It's replicable. There's nothing that they're doing that's not replicable. But what they have is they have a culture of, again, what you mentioned about, you know, Dave Doran has the all shucks, put the hand in the dirt, just play physical football, get after you, you know, and, uh, you know, play with a bad temper, you know, start start the football game up front and, and be really good on, on the offensive line be real physical there, real discipline there. And then on the defensive line, get, you know, defensive line and linebackers get after you. That That's it. And that's, that's very replicable, but you have to commit to it. You have to commit to this is who we are. We're going to be this and we're going to build to this. We're going to have, you know, we're going to recruit to this. We're going to recruit players with a certain attitude. We're going to recruit to get guys who can actually play with this kind of with this kind of approach, and you you work you you build your whole program from the ground up that way, and and that's what they've done. They've done that his entire tenure, and they are who they who they're going to be. You know what you're going to going to see when every time you play NC State, and you know North Carolina has not had that. They've not been that. And you know the, the 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 big thing is that that you've got that identity or that program mentality that they've that they pushed, and then yesterday they happened to get the Brennan Armstrong who played it at Virginia, 
right? Where he was he was putting the ball in, in, in good locations. You know, he knew where he needed to go with the ball each time. He was not confused at any point and was throwing to open receivers all night and was hitting those guys in stride, hitting those guys where they needed to be. So you combine those two things and that's that's what you got. But there I mean it's very replicable, but you have to you have to actually commit to it. And you have to you have to recruit the kind of players that you need for that. You have to commit to off season during the season. Every piece of it has to be that specific identity, that specific core of who you're gonna be. And yeah, I mean, if you don't commit to that, it's not going to happen. Yeah, I mean, again, top down. Buck, name Michael Campanero ring a bell when I was watching that game last <laughs> night. <laughs> One folks, guy can't beat UNC. If, if folks don't um, have forgotten that name, he had like 15 catches against Carolina. After I said, there's no way one guy beats North Carolina. Casey Concepcion, Kevin Concepcion, to Jason's point earlier, seven catches for 131 yards, averaged 18.7 yards a catch, and 5.5 yards a rush. Um, but where do we go from here? Now, let me do this. Let me talk about Johnny T-shirt. Go ahead and get this mm. out of the way. Best thing about this whole podcast right there. Yes. Um, they are the one consistent thing on this podcast in Chapel Hill is Johnny T-Shirt. They take care of you if you're an Inside Carolina Premium subscriber, um, which if you are feeling down and you stress by, click on johnnytshirt.com and spend money there. Get your 10% off when you're an Inside Carolina Premium subscriber. Get all the jerseys you need. Uh, get all the all the stuff you need um, for Christmas, for tailgating. It was pretty live tailgating scene in Raleigh last night. Um, but they do it, and they're alumni-based, and they're alumni-owned and all that. So we need to support local businesses. I say it all the time. Do Johnny T-shirt. Going to take a break, let national guys pay the bills. We're going to come back, and we're going to talk about what's next for North Carolina um, here on November 26th, 2023. Before, okay, by the way, we get into what's next, before we get into what's next, I will say we did get to find out how important Elijah Huzzy has been to this defense all year. Yeah, we'll go there because between uh, between Huzzy and there's a lot of talk about no pads during practice all week. If that is in fact true, that is ridiculous. I understand a lot of people were banged up, Huzzy being one of them. Jason talked about, I mean, DJ Jones did the best he could do out there. But no Huzzy was just unbelievable for this team. Yeah, I mean, the thing is, I, I actually don't have as big a problem with the no pads this week as as some. Uh, Ahead of the biggest because, game on your schedule? Ahead yeah, of the game gotta, that you cannot lose? you got to get healthy. You, I mean, if you're if you're as banged up, and, and we talked about it the last couple of weeks, they they looked real banged up and, and worn, worn down the last couple of weeks. And what you do in that context is you're, you're going through, you're still repping everything you're, you're going to see. You're still doing all that stuff, but you're just trying to get your team healthy enough and recovered enough that they've, they've got a, they've got a better chance of, of responding. So I understand that. The problem is that your program is in a position where you feel like you need to do that going into this game. That's the problem. The problem is not that you, that you pulled that lever. The problem is that you had to pull that lever, right? So, you know, I don't so much have a an, – an and I think sometimes people would be surprised at how often, you know, teams these days are in shells or in, in, in shorts to prepare during the week because of the grind, because of, of all that. And there were a couple ga- couple plays in this game where it looked like North Carolina players were running in quicksand. I mean, you could see I, – I, like there's one in particular. There was a replay of, uh, of uh, Power Eccles chasing, I think it was Concepcion across the field. And – for all the world, it looked like he was just, it looked like he was just uh, in slow motion. Just, you could see his legs just look so heavy compared to early in the year. And the, and being that worn down, yeah, you need to, you need to break, you, you need a little bit of a, of a break for that. The issue is that in terms of load management, they hadn't done that enough before to, 
to get out of the situation where that's where you are as a program. You shouldn't be there last week. And, and we've talked about this. I mean, what, what's Mac Brown's record in November versus the rest of the season since, since he got back? My impression is that as a program, and you just look at the numbers and it, it, it sort of backs it up, is that they've done, a, they've done a poor job of load management and having their guys physically and, and also mentally, but, but physically ready for that last month that they're, I mean, I think they're hitting the last month and they're just worn down. They're, they're overtrained, they're, they're tired, their legs are worn. And so, you know, what that tells you is that <laughs> there, there are a few possibilities here. I'll, I'll tell you what I think it is in terms of combination. This might not be it. You know, I don't get to see enough practice to be able to determine. <laughs> but just as an outsider, this is what my impression is. My impression is that they don't go hard enough during camp. That, you know, that, that camp is not enough of a war, uh, especially early in camp, to sort of establish and, and late in the summer conditioning. I don't know if that, I don't know about that, but because uh, they're strong enough in terms of strength stuff, they're, they're where they need to be. In terms of conditioning, I do wonder about that a little bit, but uh, in terms of, you know, coming into the season where they're at. But my, my impression is that they don't go hard enough in camp. And then after they don't go hard enough in camp, they, they go too hard in practice first two months of the year. So they kind of set this steady thing instead of peak trough peak. So what you try to do is you try to set your season, it's periodization and you have to load manage that way so that you ramp up right when you need to. And then you drop down a little bit when you need to. And you're constantly trying to keep your players in that zone of optimization. And you want to go real hard those first couple weeks to, to really establish the baseline of conditioning. I'm not sure they're doing that quite right. And then I don't, I, I can tell you for a fact, based on what we're seeing, that they're not doing a very good job of uh, managing that level during the season. And I think that, I think these guys are overworked on some things in practice and especially in terms of reps and games. We've talked about that the last few weeks through the first couple months of the season. You got to get that fixed. You got to figure out you got to go through the data. You got to go through the, your, your GPS data. You got to go through all of that stuff and say, okay, where are we losing our players' velocity? Where where are they where are they slowing down? And what can we do? You bring in some specialists in the off season. What can we do to make sure that we're not having these guys slowing down in this last month? You have to. And and again, I think it starts by setting an insufficiently high level in camp, and then maintaining too high a level too consistently at that point in terms of overall load during the season. So, you know, I think you've got to start reducing load by the time you get to late October and you try to, you try to peak back again in the last couple of weeks of November. Again, you circle this game. This game should be circled. And this game should be one where, you know what? You, you, you go completely shorts against, against, uh, against Campbell. You might go shorts in another game and be willing to willing to have a worse chance of winning that game, you know, two, three weeks ago so that you can be in the best possible position to win this game. You have to, but yeah. Uh, Buck, we talked about the slide and everybody references last year when they went from nine and one to nine and five, but they're, they're still played in the ACC championship game. I heard that a lot. Um, in 2021, they had a bye week, lost to Notre Dame, beat Wake, and in 58-55, lost to Pitt, beat Wofford, lost to State, lost to South Carolina. 2022, obviously last year, we know what we saw. And then again this year. So you're talking about those late season things. And this is what's interesting to Jason's point. Every college football team plays the same amount of games. Every college football team has the same rules and guidelines of what they can do and practice and all that. North Carolina State's won five straight. Carolina's lost whatever they've lost. It goes back to culture, but tell me 
tell tell these folks in the chat, the 750 people in the chat, tell tell us that it's not that, that there's something else to it. It's just, it's inconceivable. I've said that word repeatedly, that it happened in 21, it happened in 22, it's happened again in 23, to Jason's point. Why does it take so long, if it's ever going to happen, for this bunch to figure it out and not let it happen again? That's well, a question have, somewhere in there. We, we don't have, we don't, yeah, we don't have any uh, knowledge really about you know, what exactly transpires and, and where the disconnect is. I mean, apparently there is a disconnect, you know, and I'm not a coach, never have been a coach. Um, but I've always, in my imagination, thought that there's only so many ways you can teach, uh, for example, um, how to backpedal, you know, in, for a defensive back. There's probably maybe a handful of ways to do it. I don't really know. I've watched plenty of practices, and I've seen them do their drills. And when they're doing their drills, every defensive back I've ever seen do their drills runs those drills pretty much the same way. Um, I don't see any, never seen any great difference in how they teach technique. But some coaches are obviously better at motivating kids. They know how to, to push uh, kids' buttons, and they know the difference between this kid's button and that kid's button. You know, you, one guy needs a lot of praise. You need to go hard on somebody else. But uh, as far as the protocols, as Jason was just talking about, uh, what you do at the end of the year, how you manage end of the year, you know, when your team is tired and all of that, I'm not thinking there is a tremendous amount of disparity in, in how that's done. I mean, there's only a couple of different approaches that you can take to that, I would think, <laughs> you know. And so I, 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 there's a disconnect there somewhere. Um, and now uh, – and – Trying to find patterns, that's uh, a human activity. That's what we do as human beings. We're always looking for patterns in uh, everyday circumstances. So in, a, in an effort to either make the experience repeatable or to avoid making the experience repeatable. So uh, I, I can't think of, a, of an explanation that accounts for North Carolina being um, particularly susceptible to getting things wrong, to doing things wrong, to be one of the teams that isn't doing it the right way at the end of the year. Uh, I, I don't, I don't understand that. Don't get it. Um, but a lot of it, as we've talked about all the time, and Jason amongst us, there's a culture of how you do things and what's acceptable. And, you know, you were talking about what's next. I, I don't see how Gene Chiswick comes back. You know, if, if you're trying to teach your players accountability, how do you let a defensive coordinator get a hall pass, uh, escape any kind of accountability for one of the worst defensive performances in UNC history? And you're trying to teach your players to be accountable. How can you give them that sermon when you're not doing it yourself? So, you know, I'm rambling a little bit at this point. Uh, so uh, I'll just uh, back to you, Tommy. <laughs> well, no, I, I, I love build what on, you just said. Yeah, go. I want to build on what Buck just said because he's right yep. that in terms of, of, of basic fundamentals, and I, I, I've heard this from a lot of a lot of people the last few years when I've – I've uh, called out fundamentals problems on different videos, particularly with the defensive line and offensive line, although offensive line fundamentals have mostly been okay this year. Um, I get this question of like, are they not teaching these fundamentals? Well, I mean, they are teaching them. I've seen them do it. But Tommy, what, what, what's, the, what's the saying that I 
introduced to this podcast, what, three or four years ago, five years ago? Did you introduce it? I thought it was mine because I heard it on. No, uh, that was mine. I heard it on Game of Thrones. You get what you allow or you get, you get what, what you, you tolerate. Yep. yep. You get what you allow. And, uh, yeah, I'm pretty confident I introduced that on this show, but <laughs> I, I didn't know it was on. I didn't know it was on Game of Thrones, but, uh, but you get what you allow. And that's number one is certain things are allowed. And the, the accountability in that sense is, is an issue. The other thing is one of the primary differences that I see between how, how different practices are run at different, at different places is the number of reps that every player gets. Specific, in particular, in spring and in fall camp, those sorts of things. What I want to see when I watch somebody's practice is how many guys are standing around at any one time. Because you go to the best programs, the best practices, and you're going to see ones and threes, twos and fours that are doing the exact same thing at exactly the same time with exactly the same intensity, and it's split up so that every player is getting, getting twice as many reps. You're going to see going through drills, every unit is, is going more of the time in terms of, of repping these things, and you're seeing less standing around. You're seeing less, okay, we got you know five offensive linemen here, and we're going to go with a one-on-one pass rush situation against the defensive linemen. There's four defensive linemen, and you're going to get five of them. Well, one of them on each of them is working it at once. The other four are standing, and everybody else is standing around watching this. Uh-uh. Because now you're not developing... That's not the intense thing for every player out there, right? That's the sort of thing that that I do think can change immediately and and has to change in programs that want to be, that want to build depth, that want to be successful. You've got to make sure that you are dividing things up so that there's as little wasted time for each individual player as possible. And, I mean, Tommy, what's your, you've seen... You've seen these practices. What what what's your impression now that now that I say that? You're exactly right. Uh, I mean, how much do you get out of practice by standing around and watching? Mental Nothing. reps can only take you so far. Exactly. So you know, what I, you know, you can tell me how to do something, but I have to do it. And again, my mantra, culture. It's the culture. It is allowed. And look. People can say, well, these guys don't know. They don't know what goes on inside the program. And that's right. But we see the results of what goes on. We see what happens last night. We see that, um, hey, we won eight games. We won nine games. Folks should be happy. That's my point, Jason. So, So in your mind, you say it can be fixed relatively quickly. It can't be fixed with who's already there. You know, you can't. A coach that's been in his ways for years is not going to change his stripes. They repeatedly show you who you thought they were. And But what do we always say about that? When somebody shows you who you thought they were, believe them. And then you have what you see last night. And it culminates in that type game, Buck, last night, is that we've seen this building and building and building. And we said, no, it's not going to happen. They've got generational quarterback, this and that, and yet it still does. So why is it still accepted, Buck? Yeah, uh, I, if I had the answer for that, uh, I'd have Bubba Cunningham's job. Uh, <laughs> which, if Somebody you think about to. it, yeah, if you think about this, and you think about the history of uh, UNC football uh, coaches who got fired based on wins and losses, Take Butch Davis out of the equation. That's not the reason he got at the axe. You go back to, and and uh, Tommy, you and I were uh, right in the thick of all of this when it was going on, when Carl Torsbush was uh, got the axe, and the year before he got the axe, he went three and nine. 
everybody thought he was getting fired. That's the word everybody was hearing. Everybody in the press box, everybody anywhere thought, yeah, you know, he's gone. He's, he's a goner. Three and nine, there's no way they're going to retain him. And then at the last minute, uh, Dick Bedore changed his mind, apparently. I think uh, maybe some of the donors at the Rams Club all helped change uh, Bedore's mind. And they kept him for a year. And he went 6-5 the next year, then they fired him. Uh, and you go on and on through all of those scenarios about when North Carolina head coaches get fired. Firing a coach that's 8-4 and four at UNC, I don't think it's ever been done or ever it, will be done. You it know? ain't going to happen. You know, uh, he's won eight games, and can you imagine the uproar that would occur if – and I'm talking really mainly about academic, on the academic side, if you could – you know, make a distinction. Uh, can you imagine what the uh, uh, the faculty senate would have to say if North Carolina fired a football coach because he only won eight games? I mean, we're talking about some serious pushback. Could Mac be talked into retiring? I don't know. But uh, even back in that time, in 99, Tommy, we're – just discussing a person, a writer in Chapel Hill wrote a column uh, bemoaning the idea, lambasting the idea. Now, this is a sports writer lambasting the idea uh, that Carl Torbush should be fired after a three and nine season. And his sort of his headline or lead of the story was, who does North Carolina think they are? Nebraska? Now, this was in 1999, so you can understand a Nebraska reference. Imagine what it would be if Bubba Cunningham, out of the blue, just decide, Mac Brown, you're fired. It, it would just be outrageous, the pushback. Does that mean it's a bad idea? I'm not saying that. Do, you know, am I saying this wouldn't be the right move? I'm not saying that either. What I'm saying that this is a tricky, tricky situation. You've got a Hall of Fame co coach that's gone uh, 17 and eight in the right as we stand right now. Is that right? In the last two years, and for that guy a Hall of Fame coach to be shown the door would be a story. That would be a story. And uh, could it be finessed a different way? Could he be talked into retirement? Who knows? Is it the right thing to talk him into retirement? I think I'm closer to that, that point of view than I have been. And uh, more than that, I don't feel comfortable in saying. But uh, it's something that you know, I, I hate to use this expression because it's uh, a horrible one, but the fish rots from the head, right? Um, so, uh, you know, I think at this point, seeing what we've seen over the last three years, last three seasons, it's got to be something that gets discussed. It's got to be something that's talked about. And it shouldn't be off limits for anybody to discuss it the pros and the cons of it. I think that's reasonable. Um, but th that's kind of where I'm at, Tommy. In fairness, to be, to be fair as much as possible, we're having this discussion, and North Carolina has eight wins. Five years ago, we were having this discussion, and North Carolina had two. So – there's two sides to that coin. Expectations have gone up. They've skyrocketed. Which I think is a great thing. Which I think is that's a, a great thing, Tommy. Uh, somebody mentioned it on the message board. I look 
and uh, I saw it, and I was going to go back to it, but I, so I don't remember the name of the person who wrote this. But um, and it probably many of us have had this thought that it speaks to something about North Carolina football that the the fan base or a significant portion of that fan base is disappointed because North Carolina only won eight games. Legitimately probably disappointed, but that's not something we've seen before. I mean, are there going to be a, uh, is there going to be a handful, a group, a slice of the North Carolina fan base that uh, is not happy with an eight and four season by Butch Davis and when was that, 208 or 209, somewhere in there? Yeah, there's going to be a slice of, of, of the fan base that's going to be unhappy. And, uh, you know, as my mom used to say, some people are unhappy that work in a pie factory. Um, and, and so you're going to have that segment of the, of the population. But I, the majority of people, the growing segment, significant numbers of people that are disappointed after an eight and four season has grown exponentially. Uh, so, yeah. And, and Mac, I mean, Mac deserves all the credit for raising the floor of the program and getting to the place where the expectations are where they are. That's Mac Brown. Yeah. Let me post this on the screen for folks to see, because I a hundred percent agree with this. You can't sell fail fans the dream of being great and then tell them to be happy with eight wins. And that's what's happened in the last couple of years. Yep. Yep. That, Mac Brown, that right there. Fans understand. Mac, Go ahead. Mac Brown has raised the floor of the program, but he also has sold raising the ceiling and the roof has not been raised. Right. The ceiling, the ceiling has been the roof and the roof hasn't moved. Right. So that's really where things stand. I mean, the, the, the reason for the frustration here that everybody has, and there, there should be the same frustration inside the building. And, and one thing I fully agree with Mac Brown's assessment of this game. When he said, I did a very poor job of preparing our team. It's on me completely. Yep. <laughs> 100% agree with Mac Brown's assessment of the game. And like I said, he and his staff have raised the floor of the program. The point of frustration is, when's the ceiling going to go up? Because you expect that the that you're kind of going to get closer to your ceiling when you have elite quarterback play. And when you don't have great quarterbacks, you're going to kind of revert back towards the floor. Well, if the floor is where you hit with a top five draft pick at quarterback, that's the thing that's frustrating everybody. Is like, look, I mean, you're not going to get another guy that's better than that, that quarterback. So that means you're going to have to be better, at, that much better at every other spot. And that's what people, I think, are justifiably concerned about is, okay. And we asked this question earlier this year. What's North Carolina's record the last two years without Drake May? Well, they went nine last year. I would say at least four of them were pure Drake May wins. This year, I'm not as say much. This is, I'm going to I'm going to change the thought a little bit. Uh, I would say uh, you know the same thing about Drake May being gone. But where I'm going with this is, had Drake May, let's say for example, uh, been injured in uh, against Clemson and could not play against NC State. I don't see this game playing out a lot differently, mm -mm. right? Nope. Right? It would be pretty much the same thing, you know? Yeah. And NC State can lose people. You know, this is like a one-off anecdotal evidence kind of situation, but they, they, they lost their starting quarterback. I mean, he decided he was going to transfer after he took over the position from Brennan Armstrong. Hey, they're – They've got a converted linebacker like second on the depth chart at running back because they've just run out of bodies there. Um, and 
across the board, if North Carolina had had those kinds of injuries, that would be all we would be talking about all week. Oh, they've got no chance. Drake May's hurt. Uh, you know, Amari and Hampton's hurt. They they got no way to win this game. NC State apparently does not think that way. They really are thinking, hey, next man up, everybody else do their job, and and we're going to go ahead with this thing. To me, if you know, and of of course I have to do this grudgingly, but if you're going to compliment NC State for anything, it's for their ability to never give in to you know, setbacks as for on their roster. They they somehow manage. They lost Devin Leary last year, uh, and yet they go on and and beat North Carolina and in the game last year. Shoe on the other foot. Would we be, you know, in that same mindset? We're going to beat you anyway. We've lost our uh, star quarterback, and we're going to play somebody else, and we're still going to beat you. Is any who's thinking that in the North Carolina fan base? Who's got that diff- attitude about it? It's the difference between a line of scrimmage program and a star program. Uh, Did y'all hear the explanation? Did you hear the Michigan players' comments? Um, it was one of their linebackers, I think, talking about – or one of their defensive backs talking about Marvin Harrison. You can wear the Louis and have the, the fancy gear, but you ain't tough. That was a great line. It was kind of like the Tennessee comment last year. You remember, Jason, drop your balls. We didn't do anything different. We just dropped the blah, blah, blah and played well. I mean, those are the different – culture aspects of it Ryan Day's one and three against Michigan again yeah against Michigan 40 and 0 against everybody else in the Big Ten and there are people that want his head on a pike because of gate rivalry games and here we are at North Carolina when they say nine's nine's good enough eight's good enough but any any turkeys left on this feather and I said it backwards on purpose <laughs> Uh, I mean, by, by, the, by the way, that same thing applies. I mean, you, you had all the hype about Colorado earlier in the year because they had, you know, Hunter, they had Shadir Sanders. They, you know, they got some stars out there that are going to play in the NFL and they're really good. I mean, Hunter might be top three or four wide receiver in the country right now. And he's one of the best defensive backs in the country. But once they got into conference play and it became a line of scrimmage game, that team had no shot. And as the year wears on, you got to be a line of scrimmage program in, in November, right? I mean, they they got blown out in November multiple times. Why? Because they're really bad on the line of scrimmage. And if you're going to be a, a November football team, it has to start there. And and like you said, Buck, NC State takes a next, next man up uh, mentality. That's because they're a line of scrimmage program. That's what they do. You know, you can kind of plug and play with a lot of the a lot of the skill guys and the reason that they haven't broken through in terms of uh of you know competing for ACC titles or anything is that they don't have the, the they don't have the playmakers of the you know Clemson's or this year the Florida States of the of the conference to add to that that line of scrimmage thing but boy they've been difficult for those programs to beat on a consistent basis because they 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 come to war on the line of scrimmage and they will and drag you down if they drag you down into that type game, yep, they want it. They they want to make it. You know, they want to make it an ugly fight. And you know the old saying about you know you never wrestle with a pig, right? You both get dirty, and the pig likes it. Yep. Well, yeah. NC State wants to make it one of those games. They want they want they're the pig that wants to get you and get you into a wrestling match. And you'd better be prepared to handle the 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 line of scrimmage stuff and. You know, North Carolina is not has not been a line of scrimmage program, and you know, at least let's just put it this way: through Mac Brown 2.0 and Larry Fedora. In neither of those tenures, at least so far in Mac 2.0, could you justifiably say that North Carolina has been a line of scrimmage program? 
And that's where the, that's, you have to fix the program there first. And it has to start with, with making sure that you're getting really good players, enough of them, and that they're great evaluations who are going to develop at that spot. And the thing is, it takes, it usually takes years and, uh, and, and strong attention to develop into a line of scrimmage program. You don't just overnight become a line of scrimmage program. You develop that. It takes two, three years to develop an offensive lineman. Yeah, let me uh, talk about our other sponsor right fast. Shout out 855 people. I don't even think we had this many after South Carolina, um, which seems like a lifetime ago. Congruity is a new sponsor. They're they're great for your small business and mid-sized business. They'll help you develop a plan. They'll handle payroll and outsourcing. They'll handle your people while you grow your business. Um, I've said it before. We're talking about rivalries in the state of North Carolina. Well, Congruity is a North Carolina-based company that has made themselves national from the quality work that they do. Top-of-the-line technology, top-of-the-line customer service. You know, Darren and Matt and the whole team take care of you while you take care of your business. Go to congruityhr.com front slash Tar Heels. Fill out a quick form to be connected to their advisors and their consultants. If you're an inside Carolina person, they'll give it to you for free. You never go wrong taking the free stuff, and you might knock it out of the park and become a business as big as congruity congruityhr.com front slash tar heels to learn more about congruity to fill out the assessment to get your free assessment and to potentially grow your business and take it to the next level buck uh i don't really know what else to say people are saying just say it just say it i think we've said a lot my issue with this with, with north carolina now is where do you go from here they're going to play in some bowl game that quite frankly um i hope the players are able to have a nice trip get some swag and all that but buck at some point you got to pick yourself up dust yourself off after getting your butt handed to you yet again by nc state your thoughts on the next few weeks at north carolina well, you know, the next three weeks are, are going to be critical in a lot of ways. You know, got the transfer portal stuff happening, and, you know, I think they turn to that like today. Uh, and uh, so much is going to be happening in terms of coaching changes. I, I think Mac has already kind of set the table for that. He said he's had gotten word that some of his coaches are looking for uh, an exit uh, in the off season. So we'll have to follow how that's going. But, you know, one of the things that I saw in, uh, earlier this week, which is still true um, as we as of today, uh, that caught my eye and really got me thinking is, do you happen to know off the top of your head, either one of you, who is the worst team in the FBS, number 133 in total offense? North Texas. <laughs> no, in total in total offense. Total uh, offense. Iowa. Oh. Iowa. Yeah. And well, they yeah, play for the Big Ten championship. Iowa is is word one thirty three in total offense. Dead last in the in the nation. And they're ten and two. They've won ten ball games, lost two, and they're one thirty-three in the nation in total offense. That's just something I want to think about and play with in my head uh, from now until uh, next uh, September, next August. Uh, They've been starting an I, offensive lineman at red quarterback. <laughs> have you have you looked at that guy? A hundred and thirty-three like people. Pils- he's like the Pillsbury Throwboy. Kent State is about 15 yards a game better than uh, Iowa, and they're 132nd in the nation instead of 133. That's something I really want to think about more. I I, I think it's probably time that, you know, I've always been a spread person my entire football existence as soon as the spread was invented, which was uh, invented after I was born. So, 
I've always been a spread offense kind of guy, but there's something I think in the college football water that is trending on defense. And, and I would like to see what that's all about and figure out how North Carolina can avoid uh, having an offense that uh, is averaging well over 500 yards a game and can only go eight and four. There has to be an, an explanation in there somewhere. Uh, so I'll leave, I'll leave everybody with that. But that's, that was just a thought that, that – uh, Rock my world, dead last in the nation in in uh, offense, and they're ten and two. Now I will Co- say there, there are a couple of things you have to keep in mind. There, <clears throat> one is they play in the Big Ten West, and where they're all basically where basically every every team they've had on their schedule that they've beaten has basically been Minnesota, or worse, some worse version of Minnesota. And Carolina if North Carolina had Coastal. played, yeah, if North Carolina had played that schedule. North Carolina is probably ten and two or eleven and one, because you know. I don't Nebraska, buy that. I don't. Minnesota. I, don't. I think they would be. I think they would be because that Big Ten West is 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 not strong. The other thing that I just am amazed by is I I'm I still I'm not sure you can convince me that this season has not been just high performance art by Kirk Ferentz. <laughs> right. It's the whole like. Watch this. I'm gonna do. I'm gonna submit this as a as an artistic performance after the season, where I'm gonna start an offensive lineman at quarterback, and I'm just gonna I'm gonna I'm gonna score as few points as possible to make a championship a conference championship game, and just demonstrate how as an offensive line coach, you know, former offensive line coach. That's where Kirk Ferentz made his made his hay before he became a head coach. I'm going to show that what really matters is the line of scrimmage. And I'm going to commit to this so much that I'm even going to start an offensive lineman at quarterback and we're not even going to we're not even going to try. We're not even going to pretend to try to have a passing game. We're just going to go about business on the line of scrimmage and show how this works. It's a, it's really an amazing piece of performance art in my opinion. I mean, it's just yeah, I mean, put that in the Louvre after this season. Let me uh let me recite a stat for you, Jason. Iowa's strength of schedule according to PFF, and I understand all the different metrics. I get it. Iowa's strength of schedule, 19th in the country. You know what Carolina's is? Uh, it's probably 50th, 53rd. 72. Okay. Iowa's yeah. quarterback gives you minus one, or however this Drake may gives you plus four and a half, and Carolina's 72 strongest schedule. I mean, the bottom line is it's a culture. Yeah. It's a culture issue. Yeah. My question is this, though. What happens to change it? If you don't do a complete complete overhaul, and I don't necessarily think that's the thing you need to do, um, but I know one thing. It cannot con- can continue to stand. Somebody in the chat, when I said, in fairness, Carolina's won eight and nine games after winning two and three, but somebody said in the chat, the donations have gone up, the money's gone up, the the investment's gone up, and you're still at the same place um, as the program has traditionally been. At some point, folks need to get some return on their investment. Now, with NIL, folks can talk with their money. But to Jason's point, until those lines, until that culture, until the physicality returns or gets in the North Carolina program, we're going to be having the same discussion every year this time of year but anything left i got nothing i'm i'm ready for the off season uh I've, the bowl <laughs> game's coming but uh you know, the uh off season couldn't come at a better time for me uh, uh because it seems like there's a lot of work to do between now and uh, next september yeah. december crazy with the recruiting with portal and all that stuff this crowd's gonna have a tough time Explaining away Saturday night in Raleigh. Jason, anything left before we get out of here on our la- or second to last day after? Because I'm sure we'll do some one sometime in late December about some bowl game that Carolina will play in. Uh, I'll just say I'm not especially optimistic about how much is going to change in certain respects. And yeah, um, a lot of stuff needs to change, and it's going to take it's going to take making some hard decisions and, and 
uh, take some commitment to to do that in order to take the the program from the ceiling that it's or from the from the floor that it's at to keep that floor where it's at and then and potentially raise that that roof uh yeah it's i'm not i'm not that optimistic but i do i will say i am i am about ready to get to the uh to the off season where of co- as of course we all know uh miami is what the 23 time defending national off season champs so you know it'll be interesting that'll to see be that curious that'll year. be curious how that goes because this year, I mean, it's been building every year, you know, but this particular year, they were just convinced. And, and they convinced <laughs> the, the national people who got just as convinced that, oh, now now this is it. Yes, this is it. Finally, we're there. We're, we're going to do it this year. And the U is finally going to be back. That's right. We, we salve our wounds talking about Miami's preseason national championships. Hey, you could yeah, be USC as well. Program. USC uh, Heisman quarterback. What are they? Seven and five, six and six this year. Doesn't matter line if you can play on the lines. Line of scrimmage. It's a line of scrimmage sport. You got the two best quarterbacks in the game, and their teams struggle down the stretch. Why? Well, it's a line of scrimmage sport. Indeed, it is. Shout out to I think we had eight sixty eight top out today um, just incredible to see that turnout here on inside carolina on the day after podcast we'll do another one of these we'll have a post-mortem football season deal it's going to be quite hectic over the next several weeks around north carolina's football program don't forget taylor and Viplus if you haven't or taylor and shot if you haven't seen a vips post game from carter finley where felt like he had some fans behind him trying to get in the picture which is probably one of the dumbest things I've seen folks trying to do to throw Taylor off his game. He nailed it post-game. Taylor and shot. Great show coming up. And plenty of basketball coverage. It's been Inside Carolina's Day After. Special shout-out to Johnny T-Shirt, Congruity, Buck, Jason. I'm Tommy. We'll see you guys around.